the altar. This is our third uh, Sunday that we've been preaching on this, the third sermon. The first two were pretty much on the brazen altar. We'll refer to that some more today as well. But uh, today we're going to speak more on the, uh, really look at the golden altar or the altar of incense. The Bible says that these two, primarily two different altars you see, there were altars built in different places, but primarily two different purposes, especially with the tabernacle and the temple worship. And uh, I want you to look in Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read Exodus 30, 1 through 9. And thou shalt make an altar. This is God giving instruction to Moses on the mount. He gave him the Ten Commandments, and he gave him very detailed, specific instructions for the tabernacle that was to be built and for the furniture, if you want to call it that. It was to be in the, in the tabernacle and right outside of it. And here we see, Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. So this is a different altar. Of shittim wood, that's acacia wood, which we've talked about, shalt thou make it. A cubit shall it be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be in height. And two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Now that's different as well. The brazen altar that we've studied the last two weeks where burnt sacrifices were made was made out of the same wood, but it was overlaid with brass. Brass could take the heat. Amen. Could take the heat of the continual burnt sacrifices that were going to be made there. But this is a different altar. It's in, in a different place and it's to be overlaid in pure gold. The top thereof and the sides thereof round about and the horns thereof and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make it, make to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof. Upon the two sides of it thou shalt make it, and they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. So that's where two long uh, sticks or rods would be placed to actually carry it when it was moved. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil. It's important where it is. We'll talk about this more. Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, and he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifices, nor meat offerings, neither shall you pour drink offerings thereon. And I just want to stop right there. We'll stop in verse 8. So this is a different altar. It's placed in a different place. And this is what we're going to talk about. There are two altars that are mentioned in the Bible. I say this and I'll continue to say it because I want us to know what's the big deal of studying about the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Testament altars and sacrifices and so forth. <clears throat> the big deal is, it's a very big deal because they typify Christ. They're picturing Christ. They're showing forth the Lord Jesus. Both of these altars represent Christ. But this incense... A sweet incense to, was to be uh, burnt upon the altar. Okay? Not burnt sacrifices, but specifically, and we didn't have time to read it, the Lord actually gave like a ingredients, a prescription 
for the incense that was to be burned upon the altar. No strange fire and no strange incense was to be burned. It was to be what the Lord had required and what He had instructed. Now we can remember this in all anything we do in worship. We need to find it within the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God what's appropriate to bring before the Lord, whether it's in a sacrifice, whether it's in praise, praise and worship, our music, prayers, that it be not that it not be strange fire. Strange would be like foreign. The Lord does not want that. He does not allow that. Uh, there were two of Aaron's sons that offered the strange fire before the Lord. We don't have time to read it. Not long after this, and the Lord sent fire and killed them. I mean, he wasn't playing games about it. And that was given for a testimony uh, of God's holiness. We're to worship God His way. But the incense was to be burned morning and evening and, and also perpetual. There are specific lightings of it in the morning and the evening that Aaron was to make. But it was a perpetual incense. And this altar speaks of Christ as well, where the brazen altar speaks of the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice that was made for the sins of the world that the comer thereof, the comer who's coming to God, has to go first by that brazen altar. It's a tabernacle. If you were to walk in, I believe, the west gate, the first thing you would see in the courtyard right outside of the actual tented tabernacle was the brazen altar. Continual sacrifices, blood being shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Burnt sacrifices not living sacrifices or anything like that. And if anybody's going to go beyond that into worship or communion with God, they had to pass by that brazen altar. And you can see how that speaks of Christ. And we've talked about it. If we're Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. If we're coming to Jesus, we've got to come through the blood. If we're coming to God, we have to come through the blood of His Son. There's not another way. You can search the world over. There's not another way. You're not going to find it. God hasn't provided another way. He's provided the way, the truth, and the life. And it's a big enough way. And He's a big enough Savior for everybody that wants to come. If all 8 billion people on the planet suddenly decided they want to give their life to Christ, it's big, He's big enough. He's able to save to the uttermost. But we have to come that way. But this golden altar was in the holy place. It was... Uh, it was inside the tabernacle, by the mercy seat, by the Ark of the Covenant. And this speaks of Christ as well. This, this first altar, altar, the brazen altar, spoke of Christ as the sacrifice and Savior of the world from sin. The second altar, the golden altar, if you, the Bible calls it the golden altar or the altar of incense. It's both. Okay? represents or speaks of Christ as well in His present ministry as the intercessor of the saints or for the saints. The intercessor. He has a ministry of intercession for the saints of God. And I just want to give you a quick definition. The word intercessor, okay, which is in the Bible, it means a mediator. It's a mediator. The word intercession means to come between, to entreat, to pray to fall upon, to meet together. So that that place, both places are speak of Christ, both altars. Both altars would be meeting places between God and man. But you have to go to that first brazen altar if you're going to get to the second, which we were singing about this morning. 
And so uh, I want you to look in your Bibles real quickly at Isaiah 59. We're talking about his ongoing ministry. Jesus is not dying again for the sins of the world. Y'all understand that? That took place as a historical fact. The tomb is empty. He was crucified, dead, and buried according to the Scriptures. And He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He ascended after 40 days on the earth. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father in power. Ever living. Ever living. Okay? So He's not dying again. He's not shedding blood. The blood that He shed is sufficient. It was enough. What He did 2,000 years ago is enough. Somebody that has no consciousness of God and you bring the Gospel to them and the Holy Ghost starts working on them quickly and they come under the conviction of the Lord and they want to give their life to Jesus right now today in 2019, that's enough. The blood that He shed then is sufficient for that soul today. It's sufficient for me when as a believer I sin today and I say, God, forgive me. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So He's not having to die repeatedly Hebrews said that, and we've talked about it. This he did once, the Bible said. It's amazing times, how many times it says in the book of Hebrews, he did it once. It's making that very clear. It's not a continual, but he ever lives now to continually intercede. That is ongoing. Picturing the perpetual incense that was burned. Okay? But look at this, just looking at an intercessor, intercession for a moment. In Isaiah 59, uh, we're going to read verse 4 and then skip down to verse 15. This is roughly 800 years before the Lord came and was born on the earth in Bethlehem. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Verse 15. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. You know what that's saying? This, is, this is obviously is you know, back in Isaiah's day. But even that, when it says that there was nobody was really just, and nobody was crying out for justice and judgment. People were given over to vanity and lies and deceit. And they were happy with it. Nobody was crying, Lord, we need justice. We need judgment. We need truth. They weren't crying out for it. And he said there was no intercessor. There was no mediator pleading for the people. And he wondered at that. The Lord kind of wondered that there wasn't that. But you know what? He took care of business himself. He said his own arm got him the victory. And every Bible scholar says that is speaking about Christ. He would supply His own intercessor. At the first coming of Jesus to, to be our way to the Father through the blood of Jesus for forgiveness of sins and enter into life. Okay, But also, it speaks of His second coming and, and His continual ministry now as our intercessor. And I just think it's wonderful. The Lord uh, doesn't depend upon men for the works of God. In the sense that his own arm got him the victory. His own arm bought our salvation. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And, and he has provided that intercessor for us. And so uh, the Lord did that. So the golden altar, y'all, was in the holy place. So in the tabernacle, you had different, uh, you go in and then there was different sections in the veil. 
And it was a place of fellowship, a meeting place for God and man. And y'all, we're going to talk about this today, truly. And I pray that the Lord would just uh, speak to your hearts and my heart as He has been speaking to my heart as I've been studying. There's nothing really more important than your fellowship with God. Your service to God, everything else is going to come out of that. Your fellowship with God. Uh, I'm not talking about fellowship just like, like I say, where we we'll go eat hamburgers together or something like that and say we're fellowshipping. Your fellowship with the Lord. That's fellowship with the body and we have that. We're fellowshipping together, being here worshiping the Lord together as well. But uh, there's nothing more important than that. And Satan will try every tactic, and you've experienced probably many of them, to keep you from that. I'm talking to you as Christians. I'm not talking to you like a lost man. If you're lost, you need to give your life to Christ and you can today. But if you're saved, God wants you to fellowship with Him. We're called to a life of intimacy with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord. And Satan is going to try to take believers. He can't take you to hell because you belong to Jesus. But he can try to wreck your fellowship and he does different things, little things, to distract us, to derail us, to get us off course. You know, to bump you. Here you're going and He bumps you and gets you a little off track. And to keep you from fellowshipping with God. Because there's power that comes in that. That is really what God created us for. We're not serving Him any real purpose. He doesn't need laborers just for the sense of work. He spoke all of creation in six days. He didn't use a man to do it. You know what I'm saying? He can do whatever He wants to do. But He desires fellowship and communion with us. Now I want to read a couple of of verses here. I'm just going to read them for time's sake. I will tell you where they're coming from. Hebrews 9.24 and Hebrews 7.25 For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, speaking about Moses' tabernacle, or even Solomon's temple, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So He's a living God, we don't worship a dead God. We don't go worship God in a tomb and in a grave and say He was such a wonderful man. He's risen from the dead in power and He is now in heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. He has a, 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 a office. He has a, a title. He has a ministry in heaven. He has a work of intercession that He's doing for the saints of God. Now, for the lost, he's still seeking and saving through the church and through the gospel and through the work of the Holy Spirit to draw men to be saved. But let's now just look at the church. He is in the presence of God for us. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives. Ever liveth. That means right now. While we're sitting here today in church, he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So that's, we're not just pulling this out of thin air. The Bible says He ever lives in heaven to make intercession for the saints of God, for the people of God. One more scripture, wonderful. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It's kind of like a rhetorical question. So who's that condemns, that's condemning? Over here, it's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. That's what the Bible says. 
So this is our doctrine and we can look at it and we can believe it. I want to read a, a couple of quotes here from a book I've been studying on the tabernacle. He says the, the altar occupied, this altar, the golden altar, occupied a central position in the holy place. It was immediately in front of the veil, which was closest to the mercy seat and to the ark. The Holy of Holies, where the, where the ark was, was God's dwelling place. So the nearest that a person could come to the Holy of Holies without being, uh, uh, without being in it was the altar of incense. So it was right outside the veil. Right inside the veil would have been the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat where God says, I'm going to meet with you. And right outside is the golden altar or the altar of incense. And it's the same uh, in the sense that if, if the, the altar, is, uh, this golden altar and the incense is representative of the prayers and saints of God. And so there's no way that we can come closer to God than in prayer as well. At our golden altar, so to speak, where we meet with the Lord. Whereas the brazen altar was located just uh, inside the curtain fence, kind of like in the courtyard, and it spoke of Christ who died for us, the golden altar of incense located in the holy place near the veil speaks to us of Christ who lives for us, who lives in heaven to intercede for us. Redemption and reconciliation took place at the brazen altar and intercession for the, for the redeemed, for the Christians, takes place at the golden altar of incense. And so thus the altar of incense speaks of the living, resurrected, ascended Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the whole tabernacle from the brazen altar, which you would first meet when you walked in, to the golden altar of incense speak, speaks of Christ's complete salvation. <clears throat> How many of you know that the Lord saves us from more than just sin? Now that's the biggest thing. But doesn't He save us every day? Doesn't He just keep us every day physically? He keeps us from things we don't even realize. Sickness. Doesn't He keep us from temptation? From falling into sin? Doesn't He keep us our faith so we don't lose our faith? You know what I'm saying? Unto Him who is able to keep us from falling, the Bible says. And uh, present us before the throne of His Father with great joy. He saves us every day. So not only do we need the brazen altar to be saved from our sin. Most important, we have to go there. But He ever lives to intercede for us. He's still saving us and keeping us. Because if it weren't for the Lord keeping me, I'm thankful that He has that ministry of intercession praying for me and standing in the gap for me. And that I can come to Him as my intercessor still between uh, heaven and earth, between men and God interceding for me. He saves us from everything that would contaminate our lives, basically, that would pollute our lives. And so the Bible does say He's able to save to the uttermost then that come to Him by God, seeing that He ever lives to make intercession. So He's living for us now. Now I want to talk about this. So the altar of incense speaks of uh, our prayer. Okay, our prayer life with the Lord. And the Bible says in Revelation 8.3, and you don't have to turn there, Revelation 8.3, and another angel came and stood at the altar. Well, what altar is he standing up by in heaven? Having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, 
and he should offer with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So there's a couple other scriptures as well. We're not going to read them. They're all similar to this. That in heaven is this golden altar of incense. And the picture starts coming together a little bit more. This angel was given much incense. And the angel was to offer up the incense with the prayers of the saints. So it's kind of like you picture them together. Some, some believer crying out to God. And, and it's like incense rising to the Lord, to, to His ears and to His presence. And, and so the, the, the incense and this altar of incense speaks of not only Christ and His work of intercession for us, but it speaks of our prayer life. It speaks of our communion with the Lord. Uh, and just like our prayers to be continual, right? Does the Bible say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Uh, Luke chapter 18, Jesus spoke this parable unto, unto the end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So there were to be men and women of prayer. That's a continual pattern of life. But also the Bible speaks of specific times of prayer. Just like on the altar of incense, right? In the evening and the morning, Aaron was to offer up the incense. But it also says in the same chapter that it was to be a perpetual incense. So it's the same for your prayer life. You have a prayer time, don't you? I pray you do. I, have, I pray you have a time where you meet with God regularly. In the morning. Maybe again in the evening or whenever there's a specific time. But also throughout the day, aren't you calling on God all day long? I mean, driving in your car? You just get a text about somebody you know, sick and you're praying for them? Or you're, you're just talking to the Lord, kind of under your breath, so to speak. You're in communion with the Lord. So it's continual, but there's also focused times where you pray. Now this is my time of prayer. You go into your prayer closet, it says in Matthew 6, and close the door. And you have that time with God. So this is very representative of, of this altar of incense. There's specific times we pray, but also we're people of prayer. We live a lifestyle of prayer continually. And so you don't just pray one long, drawn-out prayer for your life, but you do live a life of prayer. You stay in prayer in communion with the Lord. Now I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles and uh, read Mark chapter 3. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Jesus is calling. He's prayed all night. And He calls His twelve disciples for the first time. They're really calling Him by twelve by name. And look at, at chapter 3, Mark three thirteen through 15. And He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto Him whom He would, and they came unto Him. And He ordained twelve. Verse 14, it says that they should be with Him and that He might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Now we said a minute ago that the most important thing is our fellowship with God. And I don't think that that's a stretch. Certainly you have to be saved or you have no fellowship with God. Okay? Lost man has no real communion with God even if he thinks he does. If he's not born again, he can spend his whole life in church and not have real communion with God because our sins separate us from God. But having come into salvation through faith in Jesus, there's nothing more important than our fellowship with the Lord. And it says that He chose 12 men on the whole planet. Okay, we know one betrayed Him. But still, He chose the 12. We read a little bit later, He calls them by name that they might be with Him. I know we've talked about this and I'm sure you've read that before. 
But it is significant that that's the first thing that's said. He, he ordained 12 that they might be with Him. He didn't just say He got workers. I got 12 to go preach. I got 12 to go cast out demons and give power. He does say that in the next verse. But He said, first, I chose 12 and ordained them that they would be with Him. With Me. Because all of the rest, y'all, comes from our fellowship with God. It all flows <coughs> out of that. And so, there's nothing more important than that. And one missionary wrote this, y'all. God is not so much concerned with what I do as what I am. Now, here's a missionary. We, we admire missionaries. I certainly do. They have a specific, special calling on their lives to forfeit just everything and go to try to win people to the Lord, usually on a foreign field. It's away from home. Okay? He says, God is not so much concerned with what I do as with what I am. For the doing comes from the being. It's only from our fellowship with God that we become what we ought to be. I say amen to that. I agree with that. I found that to be true in my own life. I also find it to be biblical. And I find it to be true with others as well. You're going to serve God as effectively and to the extent and, it, and, and, you know, and efficiently to the extent that you commune with God. And you are empowered by God. And you hear His voice. What if I really do love God and I want to serve Him with all of my heart and I get it in my mind, I want to do X, Y, Z for the Lord. And I run out and try to go do X, Y, Z. But I never heard that calling from God. I just wanted to do it because I saw somebody else doing something similar to that. You understand the point? And it was not my calling. Or maybe it wasn't the timing. It wasn't the time for me to do that. Or maybe I wasn't prepared or equipped by God for that. All that's going to come from the communion with God. Your prayer life, y'all, is so important. Your personal <coughs> prayer life with God is very important. It's not just a laundry list of things we want God to do. I got a hundred things. I got more than that that I ask God to do for our nation, for our church, for every person in this church specifically that I pray for. Uh, lost loved ones. Yes, we pray. We got a laundry list in that sense, but it's also a time of communion. Your prayer life is a time of fellowship with God in His Word where we offer thanksgiving. That could be that prayer of incense rising up to the Lord. Thanksgiving to God. Praises to God. Lord, You're marvelous. You're wonderful. Show me Your way. Teach me, Lord. Help me to understand You better. Make me more like Jesus. You know, it's communion with God. And the, the service, every bit of the effective service is going to come out of that. You don't have to sit and wonder... What am I going to do for God? It will come out of your communion with the Lord. Because He'll direct you to His Word that, that men ought, ought to pray. And it will begin to show you things. And out of your relationship with God, your communion with God, will come your personal growth, your wisdom, the power, and the, the direction for the service. He doesn't call us to do for Him. He calls us to do with Him. You know what I mean? Yes, He sends us out, but even wherever He sends us out, He's with us. Amen? So I just wanted to, to mention that. We're talking about this altar, this golden altar being a place of fellowship with the Lord. And He desires for men to be in right relationship with Him by faith in Jesus Christ and by His blood. <clears throat> to live out our lives on, on earth now and then all eternity in fellowship with Him. Think about it. 
What lengths has the Lord gone to that He might have fellowship with us? Now, I don't think I'm, I'm not going to say that God needs us. God was just fine before He made creation and before He made man, before men fell and after men are saved. He didn't need us and doesn't need us. He's sufficiently God by Himself. But He does love us. Okay? He does love us and He desires to be with us. He created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. And the Bible says in the cool of the day He came to walk with Adam and to commune with him. That's the first man ever created. Where are you, Adam? That's after he sinned. But we saw in the cool of the day that he came to the garden to meet with, with the man. And so God has been seeking this relationship with men. Not to put us into to servitude, not to be distant and far from us and just make sure we do what he tells us to do, but to be in a right relationship with us. That we're his sons and daughters and the people of God. And we're his family. And we're joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus said, I don't call you, from now on, I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't really know his master's heart. He doesn't really know what his master's all about. He's just doing pretty much what the servant tells him to do. He says, but I'm calling you friends because everything the Father's made known to me, I'm making known unto you. I'm letting you in on my heart. I'm letting you in in my mind, my plans, my thoughts. I'm bringing you in to this inner circle. You know, it's like the 12 disciples were brought in. He had 70 disciples at times. He had other people that knew him. I would think of like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were friends with Jesus. They were in a circle of, of, of relationship with him as well. But then, you know, drawing us in deeper, the 12 disciples. And then even of those three, we keep seeing Peter, James and John. Peter, James, and John. He put everybody else out and he brought them in to raise Jairus' daughter. He left everybody back here and he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and was transformed before them. And those three men got to see. He's calling us in. And I believe it's up to us because I think He's calling us all. There's nothing keeping you from it but you. You understand that? And I'm saying that to myself. There's nothing keeping me from this unbelievably intimate relationship with God that nothing keeping me from that but me. That is available for me. And God is standing with open arms saying, come on, I want you to come deeper. I want you to come deeper. I want to take you from right where you are and I'll bring you on. Then when you're there, I'm going to bring you on. And I'm going to bring you on. And He will bring us on. And this altar, this golden altar, representing the prayers of the saints and also Christ interceding, He lives to intercede for us and it's all kind of blended there. It's a meeting place with God. It's a meeting place with God. Not just for salvation. A lot of people quit there. But it's for going on with the Lord into that deeper walk with God. And so, what links has God gone to? Well, He sent His Son, Jesus. Prepared a body for Him like we talked about in Sunday school. Physical body for His Son. Lived a sinless life all the way to the cross and died on the cross according to the Scriptures to reconcile men unto God. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. So, 2 Corinthians 5.18, Colossians 1, And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works that would be our sin, yet now hath He reconciled. So this is the brazen altar. That would be 
reconciling, atoning, forgiving of sin's work of Jesus on the cross. But then he wants to bring us on. He did this because he wants this. He did the brazen altar because ultimately what he wants, his desire, is for us to come to that golden altar and to live there. And one day we'll be in heaven around his throne. Just seeing him face to face, we'll know him even as we're known of him. But we're not there yet. And between here and there, we can still have an unbelievably intimate walk with God. He wants it. He's made a way for that. <clears throat> he is desiring that for our lives. We're no longer estranged from our Creator. You understand what I'm saying? We were alienated and enemies of God. We didn't even know we were enemies of God. We were just lost. We just didn't know anything. Then the light bulb comes on. We hear the Gospel. We give our lives to Jesus. Now we can look back and see, wow, the wrath of God was abiding on me back there. Thank God He saved me. What a merciful God. He saved me from my sin. He saved me from my stupidity. He saved me from my rebellion. But He ever lives to intercede for me. And He's saving me daily now. And keeping me. So I'm not estranged from my Creator anymore, but I'm His child. And He's not ashamed to be called my God. And I don't want to live in such a way that He would be ashamed to be called my God. And I want to spend time with my children. I want to spend fellowship and communion with people in my life. My wife, my children, my family. And so, uh, the Lord is the same in that sense. And that golden altar represents that. You know, think about a wedding, for example, or a marriage. And the the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter 5 that uh, marriage is a picture of Christ and His church. So we're not stretching that. Husbands and wives, and Christ is our, we're spouse to Christ. Christ. And it's one thing to have a wedding ceremony. You know, the whole big shebang with the wedding ceremonies and the nice looking clothes and, and the whole formal ceremony and the put the rings on and assign the marriage license so it's legal. All that was the ceremony. It's another thing for now that, that newly married husband and wife to go on and live in a marriage relationship, right? You can have the one and not necessarily have the other. You can have the officially we did everything we're supposed to. Here's the signed marriage license and two people not living in a loving marriage relationship the way God would intend it for it to be. Right? And so, same thing in our walk with God. I think you can have people that are born again and that are not fully, let's put it that way, fully walking on in the relationship with God that He has called them to or called me to, or us to. And that's all we're talking about this morning, is that golden altar, that fellowship. Christ is there too. And He got me past this brazen altar to get me on to that. I had my wedding ceremony with the Lord where I became linked to Him. I went from past from death to life. The Bible says in John 5, His Spirit came and lived in me. All my sins are forgiven. I'm a new creature. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Right? But now, what is the new creature for? What's the purpose? What is God's plan for that new creature? Well, to conform it to the image of Jesus. Amen. But what is God's intent is that we would commune with Him. He chose the twelve that they might be with Him. And, and, he had, and so, there's a fellowship with the Lord that He's drawing us on into. And that He desires for us. And He'll always say this, that we should desire. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we're, you're sitting here this morning, there's no real, genuine, 
and you don't have to pretend or put on. I'm just saying in your heart. If you, if you are sitting here this morning, or I am, and I have no real longing for God. Not even a little bit. No real desire to go pray, to kind of retreat to the Lord, to call upon the Lord, to love God, to be with Him, to serve Him. It's just absent. You better really check and see, and so would I, if I really am saved. If I'm really born again. Because that Holy Spirit in me, if I'm saved, is going to be prompting me and growing me. And it's always going to be drawing me away from the world and away from myself and drawing me to the Lord. And I believe that it's important that you and I, as believers, would kindle that fire. In other words, Lord, we have to be honest. What if we said, Lord, I know that everything that was spoken this morning is biblical. I know you desire a deeper walk with me and fellowship with you than what I have. And Lord, I hate to say it, but I don't really have that desire. That would be better to say that than to keep pretending like you do. Or say, Lord, I used to have it, but it's faded. Somewhere along the line, I used to have a real craving for God. A longing for the Lord. I couldn't wait to get to, with the people of God and lift my hands and worship. I couldn't wait till I got a quiet time where I could pick up my Bible and read it and just sit with the Lord, just me and Him. And maybe that's drifted. Do you think God can restore that? Absolutely. Just be honest with the Lord in prayer. Come to the altar and say, I know I'm supposed to be here. I'm coming by faith. I don't even feel like coming here. But I'm coming by faith knowing that you are and that you're a reward of them that diligently seek you. And I'm going to say, God, would you please, please, please touch my heart and rekindle that fire in me. You're the only one who can. I cannot. But I can avail myself to you and pray. And I can ask you to do it and I can mean it. So Lord, would you increase or wherever you are in your intimacy with the Lord, in your prayer life, in your fellowship, in your longing for God and for the things of God. Longing to see Him. Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. Do you really? Do I really? Or I'm just wanting to get my mortgage paid off at the house. Can't wait to get that done. You know what I'm saying? Or am I really longing for Him? And if we're not, that's why it has to be daily, continually. Coming to God because the, little, the fire is stoked up in those moments of prayer at the altar and it can dwindle back down. But it's okay. God wants us to live by faith. Just keep coming to Him. Keep coming to Him. He's ever living in it. When you're sleeping, He's still interceding for you and for me. Okay? But keep coming to God and see what He'll do. He'll rekindle the fire or kindle the fire that's never really been going as it should. And you're going to find yourself with a passion for the Lord. A longing for the Lord. For the other things in life that seemed so important before, even to you as a Christian, are going to take on far less importance. You're going to forget what they were even, and you're going to be going on with God. And guess what? Your life's going to have a lot more peace. It's going to have a lot more joy. And you're going to have a whole lot more power in your walk with God. A lot of things you worried about from day to day, God will just take care of them for you. Or He'll give you wisdom. Just let that one go. Don't worry about these. A lot of stuff just... God will, in that communion with Him, is going to show you how to handle things. You've been worried about this, this, and this, but in prayer with God, God says, leave all those three things over there because this is what I have for you over there. So I don't have to carry that burden anymore. So much comes from our 
It all comes from our intimacy with God. And I'm telling you here to be honest with the Lord. And I would say it to myself, and I do. And I need to say, God, I want to, I pray this all the time. I want a heart like David had. Not that he's the role model, but he is a wonderful example. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. I know the scripture. And then he says, when shall I come before the Lord and appear before him? My soul cries for you. And I'll say, Lord, I pray that psalm. I'll read the psalm. I know it's true. It's the word of God. And I have to say, God, make that my life. Because if I'm honest, I don't long for you that way. But I want to long for you that way. Help me to long for you. I want my soul to cry for you like a heart was a deer. And the picture is it was running from a hunter or somebody pursuing it. And it was in a dry and weary land looking for water. Okay, it's tired. His tongue's hanging out. And Jesus is that rock in a, in a dry and thirsty land. He's that river, the rivers of water that He gives. And I want to long for the Lord like that. That's not something I can impart to you or you can impart to me. But God can do it for all of us. And that golden altar represents that in our, our, our prayer life, y'all. Is so important. I want to read uh, just a quote here. Andrew Murray said this. He said, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, speaking about, he was asked to speak on his body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and what that meant. He goes, with reverent awe, I will meditate and be still until something of the overwhelming glory of the truth fall upon me and faith begin to realize it. I am his temple. And in the secret place, he sits upon the throne. Then when he had written, this prayer rises like incense. He says, I do now trembling accept this blessed truth. God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is God Almighty, dwells in me. O my Father, reveal within me what it means, lest I sin against thee by saying, saying it and not living it. What was he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit living in us and a relationship and a communion to go beyond just it being the doctrine that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want it to be careful and shut my mouth and you make it real to me that it's not just part of my doctrine that I say it because I don't want to just say it and not live it. I don't want to be guilty of that. And so anything that we preach from the Word of God, it's all to draw us in a right relationship with the Lord. We know all the right things to say. I could close my eyes and point and ask somebody to teach a Bible study on prayer or fellowship with God or communion. And I have no doubt that anyone, all of us here could prepare a Bible study from the Word of God to do that. But to, to say it and not live it would be a horrible shame, wouldn't it? To, to, to know that it's all true and not to pursue it. And I think that's where many of us can be. Different points in, our, points in our lives. You might be way ahead of me in your prayer life and your communion with God. But we find people in all different places. I want to just read a scripture how the Lord helps us. And we're going to be uh, bringing this to a close very soon. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Are we talking about being honest with God and praying? Lord, light this fire in me. Help me in my communion with you and my desire to communion with you. It says, likewise, the Spirit also, the Holy Spirit, helps our infirmities. That just means our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings 
which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit helps us. He shows us how to pray. How do I get from here to there in my walk with God? How do I get from where I am and maybe where I've been for the last 10 years to where I want to be in the Lord? Where He's propped me on. The Holy Spirit, it says, makes intercession for us because we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And y'all, I just want to uh, make a couple more points right here. This incense was to be burned continually. Okay? Continually. And it was a place where the Lord, He says in the opening Scriptures that we read from Exodus 30, two times it said that, there I will meet with you. Moses built this altar, have Aaron burn the incense there, set it here in this certain place within the tabernacle, near the ark and near the mercy seat. He says, there I will meet with you. He made a promise to that. He's going to meet us in Christ. He's going to meet us in the blood of Jesus. And He's going to meet us in that time of prayer at that altar time that we have with the Lord. And so I want to close with uh, just a couple of scriptures, I mean, a couple of thoughts. Both altars speak of Christ, as we said, the brazen altar and the golden altar. And both are fulfilled in Jesus. Now, just real quickly, you can have a lost man that wants to have this experience with God, they're lost. Don't you see people trying all kinds of things? In the 60s and 70s, people tried uh, experimentation with different hallucinogenic drugs and stuff. And they would try to, uh, some of them have some altered conscious experience with God. And we kind of laugh at that. But people will try a lot of different things. These uh, sweat hut things where the Indians, you know, they get in these sweat tents and they, you know, they're going to pass out basically and be dehydrated and think they're going to have some experience with God. I'm not ridiculing. I'm saying that people go to great lengths to want to have some kind of experience with God. Well, the brazen altar says, no, you have to come this way. If you're going to have fellowship with God in that tabernacle, you have to come through the blood of Jesus. So everybody that's trying some other way, Jesus said all that try to come up another way are as a thief, the same as a thief and a robber. So people trying, they they generally want some experience with God, but they've totally rejected the way, the truth, and the light. They don't believe in Christianity, the gospel, the Bible. They want nothing to do with that. So they're going to all their lives keep seeking and trying. And Jesus said they're a thief and a robber. They're not coming in my house. If they're going to come, they've got to come through the brazen altar. Then you have people that have come through the brazen altar that have no genuine desire to go to the golden altar. And that's what we're talking about this morning. They really are. They're just content to know that when they die, they're going to heaven. That's not why God saved us. You've heard it before. Salvation is not just a fire insurance policy. It's pay to pay the premium and it's stuck in your back pocket. And now I go live like the devil. Go live like I did before with no desire for God. He didn't come to be that. He came to be Savior and Lord. And He's called Lord in the Scriptures more time than He's called Savior. Okay, so if he's going to be your savior here at the brazen altar, which we have to have, then he also wants to bring us into that golden altar and have a communion with him to where he's my God and I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm in fellowship with him. I hear his words. I speak his words. I I obey what he tells me to. He comforts my heart. He touches my life. He blesses my life. 
You understand what I'm saying? There's a fellowship and a communion. And so both are so important and both are necessary. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to close with a couple of scriptures from Hebrews this morning. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verse 10 and then verse 15. Hebrews 13, 10 and 15. Author of Hebrews says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. He's saying we have Christ. Christ is that altar that we now have in our communion with God. That people that have rejected Christ, in this sense it would have been the, the Jewish people that were holding on to their Judaism and rejecting Christ, they don't have a right to come to this altar where we are and have that communion that we have. They could. They could believe in Jesus. But since they've rejected, he says we have an altar. And then verse 15 by, by Him, therefore, by Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. In the last Scripture, Hebrews 10, 19 through 21, or the first half of 21. Hebrews 10, 19. And these altars, y'all are open even now. But let's read this passage. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And, and what is He saying? It's an invitation. Don't you see that? He's He's saying, we passed by that brazen altar. We've been washed in the blood already. And we've been cleansed from an evil conscience and all that. But now there's more, he's saying. There's not more in order for us to, to be saved. There's more in order for us, for us to, to go on with God. To be what He saved us for and what He's called us to. This is what he's talking about. This is what much of the Bible is speaking of. A communion with God. Enoch walked with God. The Bible says that's an Old Testament saint. Abraham was a friend of God. Old Testament saint. And here we have, we've been cleansed and washed from our sins. And he said, let us go on. Let us go on. Let us draw near in verse 22. And that's what the Lord is calling us to. And these altars are open, y'all. That we would come and, and from wherever you are with the Lord. Amen. Wherever you are with the Lord. That, and wherever I am with God, that we would go on. And not be content and not be satisfied. The, the, the service to God and the power to serve God is all going to come from your intimate relationship with the Lord. Amen? And while you're coming, I'll just read this from Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Let's come before the Lord and offer the sacrifice of praise. Let's come before the Lord and, and offer up the incense of our prayers morning and evening and continually. Because we have a high priest interceding for us. That, that door is open by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way. Let us come. Let us draw near to God. Let's not merely be saved, but let's be saved and draw near to God. And hear His voice. And let Him change us and our lives bear much fruit. 
of the Spirit for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus.